I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. is up on us, Oklahoma, Iowa State, the rematch Sooners looking for revenge in Arlington. But that's not all that's going on. National Signing Day has come and gone. The early signing period is open. The Sooners ink 16 players, including one surprise that I think is going to end up costing them. And we'll jump into all of that. Plus, Oklahoma basketball gets a new scoring threat as they just demolish ORU. Hey, we're going to disagree right there. Okay. I'm, I'm well, just going to give you a heads up. Hey, Rich, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I am going to disagree you with you on oh, that one. Okay, I can't I'm wait. I'm shocked that you said that. I can't wait to... Like to, it was fact. But let's get is. into it. Okay, right, here we go. It. All right, let's start with National Signing Day. 16 players inked on the line. Obviously, the headliner, five-star quarterback, Caleb Williams, 24-7 sports has him ranked. As the number six prospect nationally across the board, the number one quarterback, obviously the number one player from the D.C. area. Um, a couple other big notes there. Billy Bowman, the guy who had committed to Texas, decommitted. He has inked with Oklahoma, four-star athlete. Mario Williams, who at one point was the number one receiver in this class. Now he's number four. A lot of people upset about Amuka, Emeka Egbuka going to Ohio State, but this is a great receiving class when you think about Mario Williams, Cody Jackson, and Jaleel Farouk. Um, and then for all of you guys out there screaming about, well, where's the defensive guys? Doesn't matter if we get offensive guys, if we can't get defensive guys. They're there. They're, this is a great defensive class for the Sooners. But there was one. By the way, defensively, it also includes a JUCO transfer, Isaiah Coe, uh, in the defensive tackle spot. I'll be interested to see how he fits in. Based on what the current, um, you, you look at the tackle position, Perry and Winfrey, Josh Ellison, Isaiah Thomas, these guys on that defensive line. I'm curious to see what happens with um, with Co. If no one leaves for the NFL, but we'll, that, we got plenty of time to talk about that. Savion Bird is the guy who was kind of the game changer, four star offensive tackle, number nine in the class at the offensive tackle position, number 11 ranked player from the state of Texas. I'm one of the people, a lot of people thought he was heading to SMU. I'm one of them, but on national signing day, he commits to the Sooners and rich. I think this is going to come at a cost because what this tells me, first of all, do you have any thoughts on that? On, on Savion bird? Yeah. Were you surprised? I, Were you pleased? I, I mean, was surprised, which is funny because I'm looking at this Sports Illustrated article that says, for OU, no surprises on National Signing Day. We were talking about some of these higher-touted guys that have more stars next to their name when it comes to the offensive line, combined with the reputation that Bill Bedenboe has, and I felt as though maybe you weren't on this side of the fence, Matt. 
but I certainly was in saying that I feel as though it's almost a lock that Oklahoma's going to get a guy like a Tristan Lee as well as a Bryce Foster. You're looking at it from the standpoint now. You're shaking your head at me. Right. I know that nobody can see that, but I can. You're shaking your head at me, which is where you're saying it's going to come at a cost, right. which I, I don't know if it means Bryce Foster's right. out for you or yes. if it means Bryce Foster is going to go out. to Texas A&M. I think that's what this means. I, I, Bryce Foster will sign. He's going to make his commitment here in a few days, and uh, he's going to commit to Texas A&M. I think that's when – I, when I look at Savion Bird – and I, I look at – by the way, I'm happy he's here. I'm happy he's part of the class. Just his commitment alone boosted Oklahoma to number seven nationally. And there right. are some guys – the class isn't finished yet. But I do believe at this point I can comfortably tell you that Bryce Foster will not be a part of this class. I think that's what this means. When you when you add in this guy – and I look, I respect the Sports Illustrated guys. They do a good job at what they do in covering Oklahoma football. But – there are guys who cover recruiting that will tell you they thought Savion Bird was going to SMU. I don't cover recruiting heavily. I recover it, but not mega heavily like the 24-7 sports and the rivals guys. I thought he was going to SMU. If you go and look at his history, the crystal ball predictions, the crystal ball predictions, the majority of them say he's going to SMU. So for someone to come out here and say, oh, yeah, we, we wasn't a surprise to us. Okay, well, then you set on the story. You had it. You knew about it, and maybe because of the family, they said, would you not publish this? You know, that's a possibility. But for a lot of people, him coming to Oklahoma and being a part of this class, again, 6'5", 295, the number nine offensive tackle in the nation. It's not like you just picked up, you know, an extra bologna sandwich or something. <laughs> this kid's good. But to me, that that screams really loud and clear that Bryce Foster's not going to be a part of this class. You can't win them all. No. I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, you can't win them all. You hope to, but you you, you simply can't, especially when it comes to recruiting. Savion Bird, I, I don't know that he'll forever be linked to a guy like Bryce Foster, but when I look at what he brings to the table, you look at the size, you look at what's already in place skill set-wise as well, and then I've mentioned it, we've mentioned it throughout numerous podcasts, but the development that Oklahoma does on that offensive line, I don't care how many names, save you, or excuse me, how many stars any of these offensive linemen have. I don't care how many stars are next to Savion Bird. It's what what development will happen once they arrive on campus because the tools are in place for a lot of these players, a lot of these kids looking to make a name for themselves on the collegiate level. Savion Bird is no exception to that. He's looking to make a name for himself. Mm -hmm. The tools are in place. I'm just hoping this is a kid who's coachable. And of course, I believe he has the work ethic because you don't get to that kind of a ranking without that in the country. That work ethic, the development, this is, a, this is a kid who could easily make an impact as a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore, maybe even a redshirt freshman. I, I don't know what Bill Beanbow has up his right. sleeve. I mean, you look, but, at, you look at a guy like Creed Humphrey coming in as a youngster, redshirt mm -hmm. freshman, and just the immediate impact that right. he had. I, I think, I think Savion Bird has that type of potential. Well, I was going to use a colloquialism that's been thrown out you that pertains out the big words. to Oklahoma football. And that's, we want players who want to be at the university of Oklahoma, right? Savion bird does fit that mold for me. And with that work ethic and with that drive, 
I think he could be a contributor. We have to look at what is currently sitting on this roster, and it's going to be a young offensive line. Not next season, but the season after that, it's going to be a young offensive line, and it opens the door for some of these players, one, to learn the system, to learn the schematics, to learn what's asked of them, but also to put on muscle, to put on strength Mm -hmm. in a collegiate weight training program and then step into the limelight. Again, that's what I see with a guy like Savion Bird. Speaking of players that, that want to be here, want to be a part of this program, did you see the story about Caleb Williams? Willing to walk on? Yeah, just I say, did. just say, hey, I'll, I'll just, if you will let me, I'll just walk on if I want. I mean, that, that's crazy because, you know, you there, there was so much talk when he committed July 4th weekend about, it's July 4th, there's no way he's going to stay for five months committed to the University of Oklahoma when you look at Spencer Rattler, and everybody's talking, well, Spencer Rattler this, Spencer Rattler that, you know. And then for Lincoln Wright to say, yeah, this is a kid that when we have Brock Vandergriff committed, just asked if he could walk on, just to be a part of the team. That I mean, we we knew that Caleb Williams was all in on this team because you don't recruit that hard if you're ultimately going to, you know, swap and go somewhere else. But dang, to be able to have that type of talent and say, look, coach, if you'll just take me on a, as a walk-on, I'll still be committed mm-hmm. to you. That's nuts. We like to talk about the offensive players, Matt. And it's easy to get excited about, for Sports Illustrated, since I've already used them, for Sports Illustrated, it is their number one overall recruit in the country. Caleb Williams mm-hmm. coming as a quarterback to the University of Oklahoma, saying that had Brock Vandegrift not decommitted however many months ago and committed to Georgia, he would have walked on. But I I do want to highlight very, very briefly, when it comes to this recruiting class, I know a lot of the excitement and a lot of the concern, I think is a better label for that, sits on the defensive side of the ball. This is a a recruiting class that stands at 16. Ten of those are on the defensive side of the ball. If If Billy Bowman's playing the offensive side like we think he is, it's 10 commitments on the defensive side of the ball right now. But what I like about the names you see on the defensive side is that that pure athleticism as right. well as the length that Oklahoma's pulling in, more specifically in that secondary. There's reason to be excited, not just because Caleb Williams, the top, the the nation's top recruit, according to SI, or the nation's top quarterback on other websites. There's reason to be excited about the defensive side as well. Well, how how much did we, I mean for lack of a better word, how much did we drool over a guy like Nathan Rawlings-Kabong? You know, the big mm-hmm. defensive end coming. Uh, that, that, not, that's a guy who's who's going to play basketball and football at OU. I mean, we, we had, had a, something to do with his recruitment. It had a lot to do sure. with his recruitment. But, I mean, his his first scholarship offers were for basketball. But, I mean, here's a dude that's 6'7", 240, and we were just like, yeah, this kid – you're right. This is a, this is a, and, and there's, there's two names, you know, NRK, we already talked about. And then I think one of the most underrated guys on the defensive side of the ball is Damon Harmon. Harmon, be, because Latrell McCutcheon gets all the talk at the cornerback position, and rightfully so, number 17 cornerback prospect in this class. But Harmon's coming in at the number 26 prospect in his class and the number eight overall prospect from the state of, of Virginia. So there are some names that you're going to want to watch and, and be aware of and just get excited about on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I do want to, I do want to throw one thing back because Parker Thune, you know, the, John Hoover, those guys do a great job at sports illustrated, like I said, but I got to credit our, our friend and 
you know, friend of the podcast, Joey Helmer, for being the one who tweeted out that, that thought about Caleb Williams as well, about him being the – I saw that first from Joey Helmer. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Joey beat those guys to it, but before I saw a story on Sports Illustrated, I saw Joey's tweet. So anyway, all hey, that I said, wasn't crediting anyone. No, I'm just saying when being first. No, I'm just, I know that's popular in the internet age. Right. Jump on somewhere and say first. And as a comment, why I'll never understand it, but it does happen. Well, and I always like it. I, you're, you're getting me on a little tangent here, but I always like it. Like when we're all around a player or a coach after a game and you've seen this with softball, baseball, you know, you, you get down on the field and there's like what, six, seven guys, sometimes around one player and they've all got tape recorders. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll ask a question or they'll ask a question or whatever. But if you're asking a question, I'm still recording on my recorder, right? Right. And I'm going to use that quote most likely in a story. Then you have those guys, oh, you know, that was my question. They, they didn't give me credit for my question. You know, I've never, I've asked questions nationally at the Women's College World Series. I've asked questions on the field. I've interviewed Bob Stoops. I, I mean, I've never had anybody say, credit Matt Hoveld. <laughs> for this question right. and i don't care but that's i just these media guys sometimes are like well that was my question i didn't get credit for it okay you asked that question in a room of 30 people all interviewing long kruger sorry we didn't take the time to put rich decray heartland sports but whatever that's a uh that's a little tangent there that i'll get off of um a <laughs> couple more guys i think there's two more for sure coming to this class maybe a third on the defensive side of the ball, but the you, you're, you're saying three total. So we're going to sit the class at about 19, 20. Right. I, I think okay. there's two for sure. Maybe a third, but I think there's two guys coming up. I feel like that's really light. I'm just telling class. you this, but here's this I'm where I am give, right now. I'm going to give you a little credit here. I do feel like that's light for a recruiting class. We know that attrition happens each and every year. There are players who are encouraged to explore the transfer portal and potentially find a new home for themselves because of the incoming recruits uh-huh. who will consume a scholarship. I'm looking at this year and it's so unique, Matt, that the recruiting classes I think have to be down a little bit. You can't uh, right sign on. a 25 yeah. to 28 player recruiting class. I know Alabama has done this in the past, sign a sizable class and then figured out how the scholarships would work out a little bit later and country countries programs around the country. <laughs> you're trying I'm to track saying me country. We're talking about up. the Olympics. Yeah, program, <laughs> programs around when the country. Japan fills us raw. Sorry, go ahead. Programs around the country do that and do it very successfully. Right. This year's just that anomaly. It's an exception because you don't know what kind of attrition's going to happen. I'm specifically looking at a program like Texas who has a starting quarterback, but is also sitting there with talented quarterbacks on the roster that haven't had their time to uh, They're one less program. now. And so, exactly. So there's attrition that's going to happen because of that, because of the decision of the seniors who are granted an additional year, right. whether it's their fifth, fourth, or sixth year that they're doing over. It, it doesn't really matter. What matters is who's going to step on that field and how could you replace a guy like a Sam Ellinger if you're Texas immediately? No, I, I mean, get, may, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, I, it, but I'm not the decision. I think there's a good chance. I mean, I don't want to talk a lot about Texas. There's no need to talk about Texas because like the last 20 years are pretty much irrelevant right now. Um, yeah, hey, I saw but, a quote, Matt, that I'm going to share with you. Okay. Due to your comment. Someone, I don't even know who this was on Twitter, said that the Big 12 lacks the recognition that Oklahoma deserves. 
or the Big 12 doesn't give Oklahoma the recognition that they do deserve because it's one team, which is Oklahoma. It's one team removed from being in the group of five. Right. That's crazy. Uh, now that's true. Um, but I do think with Tom Herman coming back, Sam Ellinger might. I, there, I think there's a good chance he comes back now. I think, I think there's a greater chance that Tom, the, the, since the university basically has said we can't afford to fire you, South Carolina didn't even want to talk to you, so we're stuck with you. Good luck. I, I think the first call that Tom Herman made was to Sam Ellinger after that. Um, okay, two guys that I think are going to join this class still. I think Samar Wheaton is a um, a lock at this point. I, I think at this point it's more of a it's going to be more it's going to be maybe the shock of the recruiting period if Wheaton ends up in Alabama or somewhere else. It's, it's between Oklahoma and Alabama, if you listen to everybody, but well, and he's tweeted that out. He said that his decision is going to come down to two schools. Right, but there's also a lot of people who say that Wheaton's already signed. That he signed with the University of Oklahoma on signing day, Wednesday, and that it's just Which not, is par for the course. Because it's not I've, like we haven't seen it before. I've said that he was one of the silent commits. Right. That there's a set of eyes that are unaccounted for and they belong to Samar Wheaton. Right. And we'll know. I, and I don't know that, though. We'll know for sure in less than a week. He's announcing on December 23rd. The, the recruiting battle that I believe is still waging right now is for Tristan Lee. And if I if my assumption that Bryce Foster is out of here, I I think that bodes well for Tristan Lee in Oklahoma. It it's it looks like you know this is going to come down. I want to throw Ohio State out, but I think Ohio State's very much in the mix. Somehow I think LSU is still in the mix and Oklahoma. But um, he you know he went to Florida a couple of weeks ago, and wasn't that for the LSU game? Yes. Well, what a good impression. Uh, right. Um, I don't think it was his shoe that got thrown, though. Um, but uh, sorry. Um, but like Tristan Lee, that that's still very much. I think Tristan Lee's still very much in play. But Oklahoma's leading. But there is a good. The, the one thing you can't overlook here is there is a bond between Tristan Lee and Caleb Williams that I don't think you're going to find with him and any player for Ohio State or LSU. Right. Which is. <laughs> There's going to be a unique situation on this roster because Oklahoma is developing with this recruiting class. And I get that it started previously with a guy like Parnell Motley. You could say that they developed a bit of a pipeline in that general direction, in that general area to the state of Virginia. More specifically, you've got Caleb Williams, Tristan Lee, if he comes again from the state of Virginia, but you've got a guy you've already mentioned, Demon Harmon, and his buddy Kelvin Gilliam, who are also from. Is it Demond? I said Demond because I'm thinking about bas- basketball. Yeah, but I whatever. Know. It's Sorry. all it's all good. Demon Harmon, Kel- Kelvin Gilliam, both from the same high school, both from Richmond, Virginia. There's mm-hmm. some kind of established um, pipeline there. All of a sudden, we can even throw Jalil Farouk in on that, as he's from the Maryland area. I'm liking what I'm seeing. Oklahoma yeah. is a national brand. There's oh, no for escaping sure. 100%. that. I, I don't think anyone would deny that. But seeing this this pipeline towards the East Coast, where it really hasn't existed before, is something that's welcomed. Tristan Lee, the number four offensive tackle in this class, the number two overall player from the state of Virginia. 24-7 Sports has him as the 15th ranked prospect all across the board for 2021. It's one of those situations where... You got Savion Bird. If you get Tristan Lee, 
Bryce Foster, you know, it's okay. Have fun in College Station. It's 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 very much like the receiver situation with Ibuka going to Ohio State. It would have been great to have him, but you got three really good receivers. And if you if you get Tristan Lee, you hate to lose Bryce Foster. You you'd love to have him, but you got two really good offensive tackles. Um, but that's that's at this point, I, I think Tristan Lee is a slight lean towards Oklahoma. I think Wheaton is a lock towards Oklahoma. Those are the two I would count on at this point joining this class. Yeah, and I, I would be absolutely enamored with that. You want me to use big words for the podcast, so we're going to do it, okay? But this this is going to be a good recruiting class, whether it's ranked number one or whether it stays ranked to number seven. It's one of these classes I think we'll look back upon and see just how big of an impact they had moving forward on future recruiting mm-hmm. classes as well. Well, here's the thing. Lee is, is a, a composite five-star recruit. He's a listed as a 20, as a 24-7s, has him as a four-star, but a composite five-star. If you add Wheaton and you add Lee into this class, number seven right now, they're going to be top five, I believe. And that's what we've always said, top right. five. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a chance. January 2nd is when Lee is going to make his commitment. So the dates you want to keep in mind here, if you're an Oklahoma fan trying to figure out recruiting, December 23rd for Samar Wheaton and then January 2nd for Tristan Lee. That's a lot. We've said 20 minutes worth on National Signing Day. I guess it's time for us to have an argument about Oklahoma basketball now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma basketball picks up its fourth win of the season. The Sooners now 4-1, 1-0 in conference. 79-65 79-65 with the win over Oral Roberts on Wednesday night. Houston Baptist coming in on Saturday. Should be win number five for Oklahoma. couple of quick notes here. Brady Manick, 17 points, nine rebounds. A near double-double for him. Austin Reeves led the team, 18 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, a near triple-double for Austin Reeves. But the guy I'm most excited about, we, we talked about Harkless. We did. We, we talked about it in the last podcast. And we talked about the potential impact he could have. Right. Ten minutes. First game out. Ten minutes. He, he had two personal fouls. He had one assist. He had four rebounds. No points. But that's okay. It's his first game of the season. Two turnovers as well. But Gibson, 16 minutes, 14 points. Rich, it's almost a point per minute. I, this is <laughs> – if I'm Lon Kruger, I'm ecstatic about this because – Jalil Hill, he scored three points. Iwakor scored four points. Phipps scored seven points. So if you're keeping track at home, that's 14 points from three players off the bench. And then Gibson gives you 14 himself. So half Mm -hmm. of the bench points came from one player who was making his debut. Four for seven from three-point range, five for nine altogether from the floor. How can you not say this is a, a new scoring option for Lon Kruger? Let, let me give you a couple of quick things that I noticed. First off is that we've talked about this fluctuating role of Devion Harmon. He's, He's a starter now. He is a starter now, but we've seen him start to excel in a role where he was that sixth man, that first man off the bench. Right. 
when I'm looking at this roster, it's very evident to me that Oklahoma needs some kind of a production off of the bench. You're not going to go very far in the Big 12 if your starters are the only players who are contributing on the scoreboard. So far, I agree with everything you're saying. There is an opportunity now that Harmon has been inserted into that starting five. There's an opportunity for someone to seize that that role. Right yeah. now, Matt, I'm not going to disagree that Gibson is your most likely candidate. But where I'm I'm approaching this from is where's the consistency? Where's that consistency? I mean, from you can't Gibson? you can't make a consistency argument after one game because we don't. But, but it's not his first game. This isn't the only game that Gibson's played in. I mean, if you wanted to go back, you could see all the games that Gibson has played in. And in fact, I mean, I'm just looking at December here where against UTSA, TCU, Xavier, Florida Atlantic, ORU, he's he's played in every single one of those games so far. 18 minutes in the first game against UTSA, 21 against TCU. Mm. The, there was potential, UTSA, eight points, but all of a sudden he shrinks. There, there, there wasn't a ton of scoring opportunity or we, we didn't feel his presence on the scoreboard with a two point performance against TCU and a zero against Xavier. This is a guy. I don't think he's a volume shooter, but what he's showing is he's beginning to show confidence in his ability to shoot the ball evidenced by the (laughs) 55.6 field goal percentage against ORU and 57.1. It goes up when you look at three point percentage. Those are the numbers I don't think are sustainable. Those are exceptionally high. If any individual shoots that high, you need to give them the ball every time down the floor if they're open because more often than not, the numbers show that they're going to make that shot. That Mm. was who Gibson was against ORU. Again, I think he can do that because against Florida Atlantic, the numbers are a little more realistic for me. 33.3% field goal percentage, but 42.9. He's obviously a guy who can stretch the floor for you. He's obviously a guy who can knock down shots when there's a gap between him and a defender. I don't see him creating for himself. I don't see him being the creator on this team. But again, if you can get him a little bit of space and allow him to shoot the ball, it's going to demand attention. But I want to see that kind of number consistently. I want to see that 37 plus percentage. I'll even take 35 from three point range over a series of five games. I'm just not there yet. Well, he's two games. The last two games, he's given you 23 points. So he's. Yeah, and the two before that, two. Okay, I, I get what you're saying, <laughs> but I mean, let, let's follow the trend here, okay? Xavier, how much how much of his 15 minutes against Xavier were, was just kind of garbage time minutes? Man, I, I don't know, but... Same thing against TCU. There's no shots taken against Xavier. T, TCU was a blowout win that that the, the Frogs kind of came back. And if I remember, I know it was a close final, but I feel yeah, like... it was 4.1. I feel like Oklahoma was kind of in control of that. Of course, we know UTSA was a, was a definitely a blowout win. That day they had like 100 and something points in that game, right? Uh-huh. 105, somewhere right. around, around there. Um, this spot on 105. Wow. Kudos to Matt. Um, <laughs> all I'm saying is the last two games, again, blowout wins, but 23 points. I, so I think it's a, I, to me, I look at this as a kid who in the last two games has found his niche. He, he has found out where he belongs on this roster. And that's and, a good thing. And Long Kruger's figuring some things out with his rotations. Right. And now, that, if Gibson that was comes what I out, wanted to hit sure. on, because if he's going to continue to tinker, right. these roles may change. Those numbers will will continue to dip 
and rise until it's set. I don't know when that's going to be though, man. Right. But like but, I said, but look, even nine points off the bench is is good. It all it all just hinges on consistency for me. Well, this, so that makes Saturday against Houston Baptist kind of all the more important because that should be a blowout win, you would think, for mm-hmm. Oklahoma. And then we we talked the last podcast about this rugged schedule the Sooners have to start conference play. Well, they've already started conference play with the TCU win, but you know what I mean. To to really get into the thick right. of conference play, it is not pleasing <laughs> what they're going to have to go through in the first four or five games of this. So you've got to figure out what you're going to do with a guy like Harkless, what you're going to do with a guy like Gibson. But I I can't help but like what I've seen from Gibson the last two games. And so I do think if you're Long Kruger, you especially if you're moving Harmon into the starting five, which he's done for a while now. You got to have points off the bench. And this seems to be the kid who does that. So I'm going to stick to my guns. You're going to stick to your guns. And I think you've made a good argument. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say you're crazy. I think you've made a good argument, but I think, well, we can maybe Sunday night, just give a little, a little portion of our podcast to talk about this again, based on how it goes on the floor in Norman on Sunday or Saturday. Deal. Deal. All right. And then you're going to buy me a big gold. Um, <laughs> okay. Big 12 uh, awards are coming out, or they have come out. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not mad, and I've seen a lot of Oklahoma fans mad. I, the, the, yeah, one team away from being in the group of the, five. The dumbest thing <laughs> that I've seen today was, if you don't know, I know you know, Rich, but if you're listening to the podcast and you don't know by now, Brees Hall from Iowa State, was the Offensive Player of the Year for the Big 12. And um, are people have an issue with that? No, here, here's where I'm going with this. Okay, because uh, I, yeah, I feel like that yeah, one would yeah. almost be unanimous. 100%, I agree, 100%. Brees Hall, Offensive Player of the Year. Xavier Hutchinson, the uh, wide receiver from Iowa State. Um, offensive Newcomer of the Year. And then Brock See. Purdy, Brock Purdy, the first-team all-conference quarterback. So I would say kind of gets that sweep there. So the dumbest thing I've seen, we're recording this on Thursday the 17th, the dumbest thing I've seen was someone on Twitter going, see, this just proves Caleb Williams is going to beat Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler can't even be first team all-conference. The problem, I, I'm just going to throw this out there into the universe. The problem for me is when you talk about Big 12 newcomer, I have this question of does Spencer Rattler even qualify for that. And here's why is because he played last year. True. True. So it's it's right. easy to get your panties in a wad for lack of a better way of stating that. Right. When you see that because it's his first year as a full-time starter but he's not a Big 12 newcomer. Oh, now I, now he yeah. is a freshman and I think if you want to look at it and have qualms about him not being freshman offensive player of the year, yeah, then you, you have a bigger case. And there. I do think you can make a good argument with Deuce Vaughn cuz he kind of what, a flash and, and what, in a pan, man, well, at the beginning no, of the season. Look, I don't think it was because that team I, changed when Skylar Thompson got I hurt. I agree with you. Oklahoma's Creed Humphrey, Offensive Lineman of the Year. He was the only Sooner player to get an individual award on the Big 12 All-Conference First Team Offense. Jeremiah Hall, fullback. Um, Creed Humphrey, obviously, on the offensive line. And Gabe Burkich at the place kicker. Here's, here's where I think most people have issue is that there's not a single Oklahoma football player on the first team all conference defense. So when you're when you're talking about snubs, <laughs> I 
I don't I don't know that you can really make a good case that Spencer Rattler got snubbed based off of the guys that won those positions for first team. Right. And the individuals. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because my, my son, Craig, shout out Craig. He and I had a little bit of an argument tonight because he doesn't think Brock Purdy deserves first team all conference. And so he's showing me the stats. Look look at Brock Purdy uh, completion percentage. He's like number five. in A lot of those. And so here's how I, here's how I shut down this argument. Cause I, I I can't, I'm not going to argue Brock Purdy. Number one, you know why? No good. I'm waiting. Give me the top three quarterbacks in the Big 12 right now. Brock Purdy? Mm-hmm. Brock Purdy and Brock Purdy. No, no, there's there's three. There's, <laughs> so you got Brock Purdy. Yeah, on a realistic level, Matt, I, I do believe Brock Purdy. Number one. Number one. I think Spencer Rattler would have to be included okay, I'm with in you. the three. And the only other name that I could throw out there at this point is, is Sam Ellinger. Right. So what's Brock Purdy's record against the other two quarterbacks? Beat them both. That's why he's number one. You can't argue that. I mean, he he, he beat Spencer Rattler. He beat Sam Ellinger. And engineered quite the drive, quite the fourth quarter, if you will, against Texas. For sure. So if you're going to make an argument that Spencer Rattler got hosed, it's second team. But is that is that not the Sam Ellinger story? How, how many years? Mm-hmm. First team preseason, all Big yep. 12. Yep. Second team, all Big 12 postseason. Yeah, and I have no issue with with Spencer Rattler not appearing there. And a large portion of it is because what Spencer Rattler did, we we like to erase the first five games of the season. Mentally, we, we've we discounted those as if they right. have no bearing right. on this, the Big 12 awards and the Big 12, all Big 12 teams. But Spencer Rattler's first five games of the season were not worthy of overtaking Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. The latter half, the, the final four, for sure. But the first five, I mean, we have to remember how those went with the turnovers. Right. So let me, let me this is from the Oklahoma-Iowa State game notes that goes out to the media. Over the last three games, Oklahoma, talking about defense. Over the last three games, Oklahoma held Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Baylor to a combined 45% pass completion and recorded five interceptions. During the same span, Oklahoma has averaged, uh, has allowed an average of 66. Hang on. I know where you're going, so let me finish. No, no, no. I was just going to say, can we say thank you, Trey Norwood? For sure. <laughs> and we're going to get into that when we start talking about Iowa State. But uh, during the same span, OU allowed an average of 66 rushing yards per game and just 2.1 yards per carry. OU registered six sacks over the season's first three games, but has 27 sacks over the last six games. I'm not finished. Um, I, I lost my place now. Uh, where was I? Where was I? Um, now I feel like I'm just a big turd blossom because I can't find where I was in my notes. Um, anyway, so here, oh, here, Oklahoma's defense ranks fourth nationally and leads the Big 12 by allowing just 88 yards, rushing yards per game. So here's where I'm going with this. This is not a flash-in-the-pan Oklahoma defense. I know you can say, look at what we did over the last three games. Look what they did over the last six games. But when you put the whole body of work together, they're number four nationally against the run and number one in the Big 12. And you can't even put one guy from that defensive line? You can't even put one on the first-team all-conference? 
I, I get it. I get Ronnie Perkins not being there. Okay. I'm going to say, Ronnie Perkins, I love you, brother, but you were suspended. You missed five games, four games, however many games it was. You're done. You don't deserve it because you missed it. You talked about Spencer Rattler and the slow start of the season and the turnovers, and that's what I believe cost him first team or any individual awards, cost him second team. But Ronnie Perkins, he missed games. Isaiah Thomas didn't miss any games. Perrin Winfrey didn't miss any games. The fact that neither one of those guys – I know, you don't have to give me both of them, but give me one. Tell me <laughs> how in the world you have this type of defense from the University of Oklahoma, the best defense we've seen, in my opinion, since around 2009. Not a single guy. Not one, Rich. First team all-conference. So if you're looking for snubs from Oklahoma, I, I think the world of Ramondre Stevenson, he's not Brees Hall when you look at the overall now, Ramondre may end up being a better NFL guy, but when you look at this season and, and just the context of this season, Brees Hall, best running back in the Big 12. We've already made the argument about Brock Purdy. There, Denzel Mims, high ceiling for this kid, but there are other receivers that right now, this season, whole body work better than Denzel Mims. But you're telling me, there, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm just going to have to stop talking. Find me a better combo on the defensive line than than Isaiah Thomas and Perry and Winfrey. I'll wait. I got nothing for you. How are these guys only second team? Give me one of them, Rich. Just give me one. I, I would have hands down, no questions asked, put Isaiah Thomas up. I still don't think that's the biggest snub for Oklahoma, though. I right, Hit me with it. I, I'm throwing out Nick Benito. Here's a guy... Matt, and I know I know that you can make a case against him, but when I look at Nick Benito, nine tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, playing the linebacker position for starters, I get how Oklahoma uses him, helps boost those stats, but he's also a guy who, guess what? The last time they upt- updated the Bednarik list, the watch list, they added Nick Benito to it. Why? Why is this a kid who's not featured, even if it's on second team. Right. Why is he not featured on that, that list of all Big 12 players? Who That's you, the one that who would you, me. Let me ask you this. Who would you take off? Would you take off Terrell Bernard from Baylor, Ogbong yep. Lamiga from Oklahoma State, no, or Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State? Who would you take off? And That's just second team. So tell me who you take off second team to put on Nick Benito. I'm the guy from Baylor. Okay, you take off Bernard. You see, I, I'm the same way. When I when I look at this first team defense, White Hubert gone, brother. Joseph, Why? I'm just saying. If I, who would you rather have right now? You can have one guy. You can have on your defense. You can either put White Hubert on your defense, or you can put Perry on Winfrey on your defense, or Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Wyatt Hubert's not a bad a bad player to have. I, I'm I'm not saying he is, but would you take him over Perry and Winfrey Man, I or Isaiah he was Thomas? A unanimous pick, right? Just answer my question. And you're telling me to go against a unanimous pick. I'm going with Wyatt Hubert. Okay. So what about Joseph Osai from Texas? It's hard for me to pick anyone from Texas because I feel like they quit. Because I feel like the only guy that I wouldn't put Perry and Winfrey or Isaiah Thomas over is Darius Stills. And that's fair. Uh, Darius Stills may be We didn't even really get to see him play this year. Right. But he may be the highest drafted Defensive lineman from the Big 12. Yeah, I, I I would not be shocked by that. 
So there, okay. So there, that's how I feel. You, you feel it's Nick Benito. I feel it's either you. You <laughs> give me Isaiah Thomas or Perry and Winfrey. Either one of those guys. There, that's where your snub, biggest snub is for Oklahoma on the All Conference awards. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a big game coming up Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff, Oklahoma Iowa State for the Big 12 Championship. We will dedicate the rest of this podcast to talking just just that game only. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So we're going to switch up things just a little bit from what we normally do with the podcast format because the last couple of weeks, the last several weeks, once or twice, you and I would say, I mean, I want to talk to you about that, but that's it coming up. right in. That's coming up to true and false. So I don't want to mess up true or false. So we're going to move up true or false, and then we'll, we'll get back down and more into Oklahoma, Iowa State, X's and O's. So I get to ask the questions this week, which again, I totally was hosed this week or this season. Because I think I got both. I know I got both Baylor games that were um, not games. So I don't think you've missed one time where I where you got to answer true or false games about true or false questions about a game. I no, I get to answer them all the time. That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I I thought you had that backwards. Uh, Maybe I did. All right. So here we go. It's all good. It's Oklahoma, Iowa State. I'm I'm pretty confident. All five of my questions deal specifically with this game in this series. So are you ready? Ready is all I'm ready. All right, here we go. 13 of Oklahoma's last 14 wins against Iowa State have been by at least 10 points. True or false? After Saturday, it'll be 14 of the last 15. Restate your question. Okay. 13 of Oklahoma's last 14 wins against Iowa yeah, so State. Basically, you're saying true or false, they win by more than 10? Yeah, dumb Oklahoma. it down. Dumb it down. Okay? I have to because, man, <laughs> the way that that was worded is tripping me up. Matt, I am going to go with false Okay, on this one. And, and here's why are you my picking reason OU to why? lose? I'm not picking <laughs> OU to lose. Here's the reason why, though, is we're looking at an Oklahoma football team that hasn't played football in almost a month. That's something that concerns me, especially knowing that there were some questions offensively, whereas Oklahoma, when we talked about this extensively after that Baylor game, was it looked like Oklahoma had a little bit of rust. They get the win. They do what was expected of them, but they didn't eclipse that 28-point mark, which I don't think anybody saw heading into that contest. No, we didn't. Was it the Dave Aranda factor, as you've pointed out, or was it not? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but I was hoping we would get a little bit of that against West Virginia. And as we know, that game was canceled. Iowa State playing some of their best football right now. Oklahoma was playing some of their best football before they had this month long break. I think these two teams are going to come in exceptionally well prepared for one another. They are teams that look completely different, a different confidence level than the first time they met on October 3rd. This one could very easily be an instant classic, which is why I say that this is going to be less than 10 points, regardless of Oklahoma or Iowa State wins. Now, I'm favoring Oklahoma as much of the national media is doing in this game because Oklahoma's defense 
has been a top 10 defense. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, Matt. Been a top 10 defense through the month of November, statistically. I, I'm just going with false on it. Okay. Um, I am hearing good things. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I will obviously have a score prediction at, at some point. I'm hearing good things about the state of mind and the level of health for the University of Oklahoma. Well, of course. So, 27 um, days. I'm just saying, well, COVID is what I meant, not not injury. Right, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying 27 days to um, well, what I'm saying is this is a team. Any issues. This is a team that is mega focused right now. Um I'm hearing good things. All I'm saying. All right, now here we go. Number two. Oklahoma's current streak of five straight conference championships outright conference championships is tied for the longest among power five programs. Alabama won five in a row from 1971 to 75 Clemson right now also riding a five game conference championship streak in the ACC. Follow me here. So right now it's Oklahoma Clemson five, five year runs, both going for six true or false after Saturday. It'll only be Oklahoma with the longest streak. <laughs> I want to lean towards true on that one. When you look again at the competition, Iowa State hasn't played for a conference title or hasn't won a conference title since okay, 1912. Okay, this is more about Clemson Notre Dame. We're, I we're, know. We're cons- I know. Oh, okay, my bad. Okay. I know. I'm my getting bad. there. I'm getting there. My bad, homie. And so when I look at their preparedness, the nature of the contest, it's a bigger crowd. I expect to be in attendance for Oklahoma than for Iowa State. Again, traveling to Texas, just distance makes it as such. When I look at Notre Dame and Clemson, Notre Dame has the confidence of saying, we've already beat you once. But Uh, I know that this Clemson team is completely different with Trevor Lawrence. I just don't know that this Notre Dame defense is going to back down, even though Trevor Lawrence is under center for Clemson. Great quarterback, potential number one pick in this upcoming draft, most likely number one overall pick in this upcoming draft, Trevor Lawrence. But again, I look at the way that Notre Dame has been playing here recently, and they're really they're really led by this defense. I think they've got a better shot of knocking off Clemson and ending that streak than Iowa State does of Oklahoma. So I, I'm 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 going to go with Drew. Okay, there you have I it. Stutter over that one word. All, All right, right. <laughs> number three. Saturday's game will pit an Oklahoma defense that ranks fourth nationally. We already talked about this. Number one in the Big 12 by allowing just 88 yards per game on the ground. Iowa State, however, ranks second in the Big 12 by averaging just under, I mean, like barely under 200, 109.9 rushing yards per contest. True or false? Defense beats offense in this situation. True. Oklahoma's played lights out in the front seven. Now, we've looked at it from a linebacker standpoint. We looked at it from the defensive line. All of a sudden, you're adding in a guy like a Ronnie Perkins to the mix, who by himself is a game changer, demands attention, but you can't completely ignore Isaiah Thomas. And then the linebacking crew has been that that cleanup crew for this defensive line. Anything that sneaks through, they've they've mostly been able to extend it towards the sideline and make that tackle or at least bring the ball carrier down with a very minimal gain. 
Needless to say, when I'm looking at that confidence, when I'm looking at the product over the course of the entire year, we already know that these two teams met. And Iowa State, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm going from memory here, but I think Iowa State only managed 123 yards on the ground on 31. Maybe it was 33, but I believe it was 31 carries. And Hall got and loose late in that game. An average of 4.4 yards per carry. I get that. That's not ideal. You'd like for that to be closer to the three, but given what you just said, and I'm in agreement with that, if Brees Hall gets gets loose late in that game, those numbers are drastically different. I expect Oklahoma to come in and repeat that performance, but at the the addition of Ronnie Perkins brings that number down quite, I, I don't want to say quite significantly, but it brings it down under 100 for me. So you're saying less than 100 yards for Iowa State? Yes. Okay. I can go with that. All right, here we go. Um, number four. I mean, this kind of bleeds right into number four, by the way. Oklahoma has held each of its last three opponents to under 300 yards of total offense, averaging 260. True or false, Iowa State will be less than 300 yards offense on Saturday. True. Wow. I Matt, I, I do think that this one... The way that this game leans for me is that it will have to be long, sustained drives. Okay. There is not going to be a ton of big plays in this game, which means that the time consumption or the time of possession is going to be the biggest battle that we see. We know what Brock Purdy is capable of. We know that Charlie Kolar is going to be out there. And that's what I'm worried. You just mentioned the name I'm worried about. Barring all kinds of problems. I, let, let me state it this way. Because it the, the situation for me takes a completely different turn if Brendan Radley-Hiles is on the field and finds himself matched up with Charlie Kolar more often than not. That's why Trey Norwood's going to be so vitally important in this game. You're pointing at me because I know that you're agreeing with me. Are you ringing the bell? Dude, I'm, so, I'm like, the, preach the, it, brother. The, preach it. <laughs> Glory. But Trey Norwood has been inserted into this lineup as one of the starting 11 on the defensive side of the ball, and we've seen the productivity. I know that over the course of four games, he's had, maybe it's five games, he's had three interceptions alone. I think it's over the course of four. But when I look at that change, it completely didn't just change the makeup, but it changed the product on the field for me, Mm -hmm. for this defense. I thought that was a complete game changer, but we know that Oklahoma has tinkered with some of these lengthier defenders in the secondary getting reps. And you had to, at least I do, you had to believe that Alex Grinch was preparing these guys for a potential rematch with Iowa State. That bodes well for Oklahoma, and it's why I'm saying that they do keep it below that. You're asking me about the 300 yards on this one, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I do believe Oklahoma is able to keep it down below the 300 yards. And again, it's because I don't think anything goes over the top. I think everything short across the middle with combined runs in there and that that time of possession becomes vitally important. Okay, here's number five. Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson will be the two biggest factors in a Sooner victory on Saturday. I mean, you're giving me two names, and that's that's my my difficulty in thinking two big, this one not over. just two names, but the two mm-hmm. biggest factors. Right. And I understand why you're posing this as a true or false. It's because they weren't available on October 3rd. We've seen the difference that each has made in their own right. I'm going to go with false on this one. 
I don't think they're the biggest factors. I think they are a big factor. I don't know what the biggest factor is going to be. I'm just saying false that it won't be Ronnie Perkins, that it won't be Ramondre Stevenson. Well, let's talk about those okay? two guys. Can I do that? Yeah, you can do that. They're just saying false. So let's talk about those two guys, Ronnie and Ramondre. Um, who who is the who do you think of these two guys is the biggest factor? I mean, who's going to have the biggest impact in this game between Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins? I absolutely believe it's Ramondre Stevenson. Okay. And it's because of the revitalized running game that we've seen once he became available. That's no knock against any of the other players on the depth chart that are playing behind Ramondre Stevenson. But you see the difference, not only in the running game, but the offensive line when they know Ramondre Stevenson is behind them. Mm -hmm. Ramondre Stevenson is a different player. He has a different mentality, and he certainly has the most experience of anybody in that crew. When I look at how he's affected the game, I think it's very easy for me to pick him out over Ronnie Perkins, even though Ronnie Perkins is an NFL talent who's playing on this roster right now and will demand that attention. But again, I, I felt like Oklahoma, I'm just going to say it as as a closing statement here, but I feel as though Oklahoma was pretty successful on the defensive line against Iowa State the first time around without Ronnie Perkins. And a large portion of that was because of this tenacity, this drive that we're seeing from Isaiah Thomas this season. No, I, I can get on board with that. I, I think it is a little bit deceptive Deceptive when you look at the first go-around with these teams. Brees Hall did have 139 rushing yards and two touchdowns, but there were a couple of late-type big runs by Brees Hall after it became clear that Oklahoma's offense was riding the struggle bus. 17 points in the first half, only three points in the third quarter, 10 points in the fourth quarter. And wh when you look at the flip side – when you look at Oklahoma's defense against Iowa State, Brock Purdy wasn't spectacular. 50% completion, 12 of 24. He did have a touchdown. I think the Sooners only sacked Brock Purdy one time. I can look that up and confirm that for you real fast. Yes, one sack in that game. But I agree with you. And it could be something along the lines of the Baylor factor where even Ramondre Stevenson wasn't super effective against Baylor as in terms of the number of of yards per carry average in that game, but he still was effective in helping this offense click. Because I've said this, I, I, it's beating a dead horse. You have to give, you have to pay attention to Ramondre Stevenson. You have to. And Oklahoma didn't have a terrible game on the ground in this first game. T.J. Pledger had uh, 11 carries for 47 yards. Seth McGowan, 12 carries for 47 yards. The Sooners ran for 114 as a team. And that's 20 yards rushing by Spencer Rattler included in there. But Ramondre Stevenson just brings a different aspect. And I'm with you. I, I, don't, I don't think it is a slide towards Ronnie Perkins. I would be, I would be shocked if there's only one sack on Saturday by Oklahoma's defense because I think Ronnie Perkins makes a, a little bit of a difference. And I don't, I don't know that Brock Purdy is going to be able to take Charlie Kolar long down the seam because of, of the time constraint. He's not going to have as much time to throw the ball as he did when these two teams played in Ames. But I will tell you this, the entire Cyclone offense isn't going to be built around Ronnie Perkins. But the entire Cyclone defense will be built around 
Ramon J. Stevenson. And to me, that means he's going to be a bigger factor. And, and this could easily be a game where, Ramon, where Ronnie Perkins has five tackles for loss, three sacks, three quarterback hurries, and Ramondre Stevenson has 11 carries for 23 yards, right? But it's still going to be Ramondre the biggest factor because those linebackers are crashing hard on Ramondre Stevenson, freeing Spencer Rattler up to do other things. So I, I guess I'm saying all that to say this. I agree with you, sir. Ramondre over Ronnie as the biggest X factor here. Let's talk X's and O's of the game. Oklahoma's offense versus the Cyclone defense. Let's jump into this. I've already talked about um, I've, I've talked about Ronnie Perkins, and I, I don't. There's nothing more I can say. But what I am curious to see is what is Spencer Rattler able to do with play action in this game? How can he get a guy like Charleston Rambo, um, Marvin Mims, those speedsters over the middle? I, I still don't believe. Austin Stogner is going to play. I could be wrong, but I'm sticking to my guns that Austin Stogner is done for the season. But we, we talked about Mikey Henderson against Baylor. He was a no-show. You've got Jeremiah Hall as, as a good option. But really, I'm, I'm curious on play action, on, on stretching the field. Because if you're going to throw to Jeremiah Hall, it's most likely not going to be a vertical 40-yard down the field threat. It's going to be somewhere within the line of scrimmage and 20 yards but Ramondre, if those linebackers and even the safeties, if they're cheating up and biting on this play act on, on the play action, that gives Spencer Rattler the opportunity to find a one-on-one matchup. And I'm saying all that to say this: the two losses that Iowa State endured this season, they got beat deep. There was a speed issue. And the Louisiana game, there was a speed issue on special teams. In the Oklahoma State game, there was a speed issue downfield with their guys. But also in that Louisiana loss, there was a speed issue going downfield, challenging them vertically. I think you can take advantage of what I believe is a slower defensive secondary by by using the play action. And again, that's a little more detail on why I think Ramondre Stevenson is the biggest factor in this game. So that's that's to me that's that's where I start with Iowa State is I want to challenge them. I'm talking about from the get-go. I want to challenge them vertically. I want to soften them up. So you have to make a decision with your safeties. Are you coming hard after Ramondre Stevenson? Or are you playing back to keep Marvin Mims from sliding past you on a on a post? That's where I am on that. And I'm taking the opposite approach on this one, largely because Oklahoma has been so successful when they run the ball consistently. We know what the addition Well, of, just to clarify, I'm not saying don't run the ball. Right. I'm saying run the ball and right. then use that but, for the but play you're, action. you're wanting to throw deep. And I just I went do. on during that true or false segment and said, I didn't think these there were going to be a lot of plays beyond the secondary. That there were going to be a lot of plays that went 20 plus yards. I just don't envision that happening the way these two teams have been playing all season long. Okay, not all season long, but for the latter half of the season because these are two incredibly different teams since the first five weeks of, of action. When I'm looking at what Oklahoma does, it goes back to how they approach the game offensively uh -huh. and what Lincoln Riley's bread and butter has been, which is running to set up the pass, which I know Matt you're echoing that 
in your statements with the play action. But I do think Oklahoma needs to be successful, that they need to gain about three and a half to four yards per carry if they want to win this game. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's about volume and how the defense adjusts to the volume. Like I said, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson can average 2.1 yards per carry if these linebackers and the safeties are crashing on him. Keep in mind, this is a defense. Iowa State gives up 338 yards of offense per game to their opponents. Only 103 is on the ground. 235 through the air. So this is a team that prides itself on stopping the run. They know Ramondre Stevenson mm-hmm. is coming at them, and this is like a kind of a beat-your-chest, mano-a-mano, best-on-best type situation. It's the same thing with Oklahoma and Brees Hall. Oklahoma only averaged 88 yards per game allowed on the ground. Brees Hall is the top back in the Big 12. One the top in the nation. It's, it's that one-on-one, mano-a-mano, beat-your-chest type challenge, and that makes you susceptible to downfield threats. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying first down, Boom, I'm handing that ball to Ramondre, and I'm seeing where are those safeties going? What are those linebackers doing? Second down, I'm stretching. I'm going to do a stretch play. All right, I'm going to make go left or right, you know, going to the wide side of the field, and I'm watching where are those safeties going? Is their first step forward or is their first step backwards? And if on first down, the first step's forward, second down, the first step's forward, my third offensive play, I'm going deep. My only question when it comes to the running game is do we see Seth McGowan? I don't think He's so. He's missed the, the previous yeah. two contests. We're talking about the health of this team. We're talking about the depth that currently exists on the roster-wide, mm. basically. But Seth McGowan has not played, didn't play against Oklahoma State, didn't play against Baylor, which means the last game he played in was against Kansas, and it was very minimal right. at that point in time. You're I, saying no, yeah. no McGowan. Yeah, so I, Pledger... Unless, and, barring injury. Pledger... As well as Stevenson are going to lead the yeah. charge. Then okay. When when you see when you see Bedlam, and it's only Pledger and Stevenson, that means that they've settled that this is who we want. These are our guys we trust. And it's not just about running styles. Remember that Seth McGowan has a bright future. But if you watch him film study breakdown, the biggest problem is he doesn't go hard through the gap. There's a lot of dancing, and even against Iowa State, think about this last game in in Ames. There was a lot of times when McGowan got the ball and he tried to dance a little bit, and this is too good of a defense to do that. you got to lower your head and get a half a yard as opposed to dance and lose three yards. Pledger can do that. Ramondre can definitely do that. But the other thing you got to consider here is blocking assignments. This is true. And you're talking about a freshman. It's, it's easy to forget about that. Right. A true freshman as opposed to seasoned veterans when it comes to blocking assignments Oklahoma State, great defense, very solid defense prior to Bedlam. And I think after Bedlam, that you saw Oklahoma State, the white flag of surrender. I've already done that, okay? I've been down that road. But same situation with Iowa State. You've got a good defense here. You've got to be sound. You can't afford to miss a, a blocking assignment. I think it's, at barring injury, Pledger and Stevenson. Answer that question for you. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, Iowa State, 338 yards per game is what they're giving up. 235 through the air. When you when you look back on this last game that Oklahoma lost in Ames, and you start with Spencer Rattler, he threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the costly interception late as Oklahoma was trying to make make a play there to tie this thing up. I I I think Spencer Rattler has the opportunity for success. 
And it's all about speed. Now, Austin Stogner was big in this game. Five catches for 74 yards and the loss. But Jeremiah Hall caught both touchdown passes in Ames. Denzel Mims. I said Denzel Mims. That's the wrong one. Marvin Mims. That's the wrong Mims. Denzel plays for the Jets, by the way. Marvin Mims, three catches, 33 yards. They're going to... Iowa State knows where Marvin Mims is. He's the guy that they're going to really shadow. So that, for me... Theo Weiss is a lot stronger now as far as his involvement in this offense than he was back on October 3rd. So when we talk about players that I'm watching, you've got the big ones. you got Spencer Rattler. you got Ramondre Stevenson. I'm thinking Theo Weiss is the guy I'm really going to focus in on as the person who has the potential to be that big game player. You remember he's, his most notable moment and the loss in Ames was what? The drop pass. Spencer Rattler hits him on the money. Not an easy <laughs> throw. And Weiss doesn't haul that in. And that's a, that, that was a game-changing moment. I think he has game-changing moments this Saturday that are totally different than that one. Because uh, I think he's the guy that can get lost in that, in that cycle in secondary. I'm going to give you just one quick tidbit. Because I, I think this goes without saying. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there once again in the open because when we look at what Iowa State's doing, what they've done consistently over the second half of the season is value the football. Brock Purdy has not thrown an interception in I don't know how many games at this point, but it doesn't bode well when you have an experienced running back who doesn't put the ball on the turf and you've got a quarterback who isn't taking chances. I don't think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for turnovers on the defense. I'm not saying that it's impossible and that it's not going to happen. I'm just saying the way that Iowa State has played, I don't see a ton of turnovers coming Oklahoma's way, which means Oklahoma must play a similar style and not turn the ball over in this game. Again, that goes without saying, but it's not taking those chances. And with a freshman quarterback, we see all too often throwing into coverage and hoping that your receiver comes up with the ball. Spencer Rattler can't do that. In this game, he doesn't need to revert to first four weeks of the season. Spencer Rattler, we need him to be final four weeks of the season, Spencer Rattler. That beside the point, my player of, of the game to watch on the offensive side of the ball, Matt, is going to be, once again, Jeremiah Hall. And it's the way That's a that, good one. It's the way that Oklahoma uses him. You've already mentioned that you don't believe Austin Stogner is going to play. And if he doesn't play, we know that, that Jeremiah Hall has the propensity to take a lot of that mm -hmm. slack or to take it up in the absence of Stogner. But again, you talk about Stevenson, you talk about Mims, you can talk about Rattler as well as Theo Weiss. There's going to be attention on those guys. It's who's going to be left out. Who's the guy that's not going to draw all the eyeballs in the backfield? It's, it's Jeremiah Hall for me. And Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley have been exceptionally... I mean, they've done an exceptional job of finding those mismatches or creating them. Mm -hmm. Again, the versatility, the skill set that Jeremiah Hall has, it, it for me at least, speaks volumes of what he's going to be capable of in this game. And it's why I'm picking him as the offensive player of the game before the game. So let's let's stick with uh, let's go to defense because you brought something up that's an interesting thing. I, I, I want to really hit on anyway. And that's Brock Purdy and the turnovers. Now, Oklahoma, we, we, we've said all we can say about the rush defense for Oklahoma, 
But passing, they're only giving up 234 yards per game through the air. Last five opponents for Iowa State. At Kansas, home against Baylor, home against Kansas State, at Texas, home against West Virginia. Let me throw some exceptions out here, okay? Kansas, worst team, not just in the Big 12, could be the worst team in all of Power 5. West Virginia, ravaged by contact you're, tracing. You're getting ahead of me here. But I yeah. know, I know. But yeah, Baylor, Kansas State, a team that just tanked. They're done. Yeah, this when Skylar Howard, and it's the snowball effect. You, you, Skylar Thompson. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I, trying to help you out here. Well, Will, How- here's my problem. Will Howard is the is the freshman quarterback. So you got Skylar Thompson. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, you're right. Skylar Thompson done, and that that's a snowball effect. You know that just kept rolling downhill and downhill until you just saw a lot of quit in those guys because they just you couldn't produce offense. Texas. Are we gonna write home about how great the Texas defense is? And then West Virginia ravaged, ravaged by contact tracing. I mean, th- we, we've heard about teams like Oklahoma Baylor, where Oklahoma barely was able to field the team. Let me say, West Virginia was barely able to field the team. Okay, that that was probably, in, in all the Big 12, that was the most skeleton crew team that took the field this season. No, I don't want to take away Iowa State's domination in that game. But let's just be real about what what kind of team that was. So in the last five games, you got four interceptions from Brock Purdy. One came against Kansas. Three against Baylor. Did you say in the last five games he's had four interceptions? Last five games, four interceptions. One against Kansas. Three against Baylor. That's it, because I know the number zero in the final three. But but let's talk about the quality of the defenses here. Let me read you these teams again. Kansas, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, West Virginia, Ravished by COVID. What's the best team defense he plays in the last Texas. five? Baylor. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Didn't you see Baylor against yeah, Oklahoma? Yeah, that doesn't mean diddly squad. I, I'm telling you, the physicality. What's that got to do with the price of tea in China, Matt? Here, here's here's <laughs> everything it has to do with it. The physicality of Baylor against the physicality of Texas. I'll take Baylor every day. The point I'm making is, you got to pressure Brock Purdy. Here's where the Ronnie Perkins factor comes in. You got to bring pressure. And and I think you're shaking your head. I <laughs> but let me finish my thought here. I don't know that I don't know that it won't be a little bit of the, of the Ramon J. Stevenson effect. In as much as you're putting that tight end on Ronnie Perkins' side, which means Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas is going to eat. But the key is, why do you, why have you not seen Brock Purdy turn the ball over in the last three games? Because it came against a, a Kansas State team that just limped to the finish, a Texas team that is an overrated defense, and then a West Virginia team that barely had enough players to get on the field. That's why Texas had one sack. In the last three games, one sack. And it came from Texas. You put pressure on Brock Purdy, you amp up the opportunity for him to turn the ball over. So when I'm talking about Oklahoma's defense, my first thing is everyone's going to focus on Brees Hall. I get it. Okay, I get it. You play gap sound with your linebackers. You let you let Perrin Winfrey tear it up in the middle. 
but you got to bring pressure. On obvious passing downs, you have to bring the pressure. You win first down by clogging the lanes. Mm -hmm. You win second down by doing the same thing and being a little bit balanced in the back end. You win third down by bringing the pressure. And when you bring the pressure, I do think Brock Purdy is way more prone to turn the ball over. So that's how I'm building my defense. No, and I absolutely agree with you. I was shaking my head at the personnel that I thought you were using to bring that pressure. You thought I was Ronnie Perkins. Exactly. And I don't disagree with that. I do believe with Alex Grinch, Oklahoma can mix some things up and they can disguise where that pressure is coming from. But I think Nick Benito is absolutely going to have a heyday against this offense with the schematics that Alex Grinch will employ in the Big 12 championship game. And here's why, Matt, as I think Deshaun White is a guy who cleans up the running game, is a guy who ultimately has the biggest responsibility when it comes to a Brees Hall. You get the pressure up the middle with a Perry and Winfrey, and then, of course, Ronnie Perkins and Isaiah Thomas are playing a little bit of contain. They can't just crash right. on the quarterback. Why? Because we know that Brock Purdy over the the latter half of the season has been involved and has been asked to run that ball. He's shown that he's not afraid to tuck it and run if that moment arises and if the opportunity presents itself with no options downfield. So there will be a little element of containment on Brock Purdy. And again, that's where I think Nick Benito is going to shine and he becomes that versatile player for this defense. I know I'm getting ahead of myself and getting ahead of our conversation and giving you my defensive player of the game to watch, but I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. Why the versatility of Nick Benito. We've seen that he's quick. He can get to the quarterback. He knows how to get around any offensive linemen or tight ends that would running backs, even that would typically be an obstacle in the path to the quarterback. And he knows once he gets there, how to bring the quarterback down. But more importantly than that is when he's on the field, I think it's easy to look at Oklahoma, the linebacker crew and say, that's where the pressure is coming from. But Benito's dropped back and defended passes. In fact, I know that he has two pass breakups on the year or two passes defended. I should say, on the year. So it's not as though he becomes a liability when you ask him to cover, say, a crossing route or that running back coming out of the backfield. He's capable to do it all, and Oklahoma will certainly task him with doing all of those different things. But I don't necessarily think the defense hinges on him as a single player. It will be a group effort from front to back. I think the defense hinges on the secondary. Tell me what they're going to do with Charlie Kolar. Because if you're going to put number 44 on Charlie Kolar, like... Are, are you saying Radley Hiles gets the start? I'm just saying, if they do, you got to give Brock Purdy one and a half seconds to throw. Or Radley Hiles is going to lose that every single time, like we saw him do in Ames. Give me, give me, uh, give me Trey Norwood. I'm not, that's, that to right. me, that's the biggest thing. Well, well, all I'm saying is when you're talking about the biggest factor on Oklahoma's defense, to me, it has nothing to do with the front seven because as we've discussed, they're very solid. But as I'm reading the depth chart for this game, I'm seeing Trey Norwood or Brendan Mm Radley-Hiles. And it's been like that for a couple of weeks now. Right. But that, that right there... That's going to be the biggest factor. What does Alex Grinch do to guard Charlie Kohler? What's he going to do different Saturday than he did October 3rd in Ames? And if he just says, hey, we're going to we're going to throw Buki out there 
And we're just going to get to Brock Purdy quicker because we've improved the front seven by putting Ronnie Perkins there. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I, I get it. it. Buki is a cult figure, meaning you either love him or you hate him. And the people that love him, they love him. But I think if you look over the last, since the Texas Tech game, go back to Texas Tech. Who has played better and more consistently? Trey Norwood or Brandon Radley Hiles? You got to go with Trey Norwood. You can't make an argument for Buki. You can't. And so that is that is going to be my key factor for this defense. And when you're talking about what position I'm looking at, I, I know what the front seven is going to try to do. You and I have discussed that. I, I'm looking at Nickelback. Is it going to be number 13 or number 44? And what I throw in my living room on Saturday is going to... What you throw? Yeah, what I throw in my living room on Saturday is going to be who lines up with that first team defense. If it's number 13, I'm going to throw my hands up. And number 13, I'm going to throw my hands up in celebration. Number 44, I'm probably throwing a shoe and getting a 15-yard penalty. You see what I'm saying? I mean, just, I'm seriously, that's that's what I'm looking at here. So that's my position to watch. There, there are X's and O's to watch the front seven because I think there's some good, really good matchups there. But this game plan to me hinges on the nickelback position. Absolutely, it does. What are you doing there? I'm, go- I'm going with Trey Norwood. But again, Matt, I want to go back to something I previously said is that Alex Grinch is no fool. And we know that he's shown that he's willing to mix things up in the secondary in order to be successful. And with 27 days off, with 27 days to sit and think, I think he's got some pretty good ideas on what he wants to do and the personnel that he could use in that secondary. There are taller defenders on this roster, albeit inexperienced taller defenders, but there are taller defenders that are available and have shown up in games. Do do we see Alex Grinch revert back to that experimental phase that we saw after the loss to Iowa State in order to shore up maybe some of the uh, questions or concerns that we as fans have? Or does he stick with the tried and true, put the cornerbacks out there on an island, and then have the task divvied out to the nickelback for Charlie Kohler? We'll find out on Saturday. And again, yes, you're absolutely right. We'll find out on Saturday, and that's that's where you just got to wait and see what happens. Okay, one more aspect of this game that we – because we don't typically talk special teams. But I, I do think there is opportunity to exploit some things here. And it's in the return game, and it's in the kicking game. This has Gabe Burkich is not been the Gabe Burkich we saw in 2019, meaning he's not perfect, but he's pretty solid. He's three for five from 50 plus out, 76.2 percent on his field goals. A Sally for by the way, incredibly bad or incredibly awesome last name, depending on which way you look at it. But a Sally for Iowa State, 68.8 percent. 
from field from uh, from on um, field goal percentage and hasn't even attempted one longer than 50 yards. To me, there's an advantage right there for Oklahoma. And then when you look at the return game, this is where I think Marvin Mims can shine. I would be shocked when when you go back and you look at how Iowa State lost to Louisiana. The the return game had a lot to do with that. And like you said, Alex Grinch is no fool. There's no one on this staff who's no fool. And Shane Beamer's leaving. He'll he'll help coach this game, but he's out the door. I think there's a chance that Oklahoma gives him a going away present with the special teams touchdown on Saturday. I, I think that could you be You heard it here first. I think that could be an important factor that maybe is not getting talked about as as much. Because we don't typically talk about special teams and we're breaking things down. But I do feel like there's a there's a clear special teams advantage for Oklahoma in this game. So that said, it's prediction time. And I want to predict a 500 to 2 blowout for Oklahoma. But I've got a good thing going here with my predictions. I am a little bit superstitious when it comes to the way I handle my sports. I, let me ask you this, because you and I haven't I we haven't watched a game together either in the stadium or on TV in a long time. We've talked about that a lot off the air. But do you have like a like a special game day shirt that you wear or is it just whatever you get out of the closet? <laughs> um I I did, but I don't anymore. Okay. So I, Matt, I feel like you may be in the same boat. No, because, I do. I because have, shirts are only good until they lose. Not necessarily. And not you necessarily. Wash them and you burn them. No, 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 no. You, I you only, don't even wash them. You just burn no, them. No. Listen, because I have the same shirt combination all season long. And here's what I do. I have a I have a gray shirt that I'm wearing this season. I have a white shirt that I'm wearing this season. The the gray shirt my son Caleb got for me. The white shirt my daughter-in-law, Diana, got for me. And so depending on whether it's home game or away, for example, this Saturday is away. So I will wear the gray shirt underneath and the white shirt over top. It's an away game. But if it's a home game, it's the white shirt underneath, gray shirt on top. Until it loses. No, not necessarily. Because th- this combination lost in Ames. Great. So, I'm just saying. So, switch it up, okay? I'm just saying. But it's, it's worked hey, swimmingly. you're superstitious. I am. So, because of that, I've been, pre- I've been predicting close games for Oklahoma. And I don't think I've predicted a blowout yet. But we're winning. So, I'm going to stick with a close game. I'm going to say Oklahoma wins this comfortably by seven points. I've got, I've got 35-28, and I'm going to say Iowa State scores late, late, to get to that 28. That's hilarious. I, I threw my hands up in disbelief on this podcast as we're sitting here recording it because my score prediction was 35-28, to 28, also in favor of the Sooners. I don't think Iowa State scores late. I think Oklahoma scores in the fourth quarter, and they're the only the score wow. okay. in the fourth quarter. All right. Well, well, there we have it. We'll be back on Sunday to uh, to break it down. Thanks again for listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. You can always find us wherever podcasts are found, and we would so appreciate if you'd hit that subscribe button. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can always send us an email as well, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner, everybody.